For a long time now, I thought I was just a survivor, but I'm not. I'm the winner. That's who I am. The Time Lord Victorious. You're listening to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm James. And I'm Keith. On this episode, we'll be talking about Mutually Assured Destruction, the big finish play from Time Lord Victorious. So Mutually Assured Destruction, this story explodes from the pages of the novel All Flesh is Grass by Una McCormack. The Daleks plot to destroy Gallifrey in the dark times, having been thwarted by three incarnations of the Doctor, helped by vampires and Keturah. Um, either of you guys read this book? Um, no, um, I haven't yet, but I have started going back and um, looking at some of the, the novels, so to sort of fill in the gaps now. And I've also bought it, then I heard your <laughs> podcast on it, and I suddenly thought, I'm not sure I can be bothered. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> I've got about six books on the go, and I suddenly thought, I think I'll put that one to the bottom of the pile then. <laughs> Oh no! They, hopefully, we weren't that harsh. Um, I think we, um, I think we did sort of say towards the end of it, we had actually enjoyed it. We just, uh, <laughs> we just pulled on a few threads um, before <laughs> before we got to saying how much we'd actually quite enjoyed it. Anyway, it just sort of answered all the questions I had, really. So I don't really need to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just sort of bullet pointed the main uh, the main points for you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so yeah, I think it obviously does start. Um, in media res, is that the expression? If uh, kind of when you're already in an adventure, um, yeah. But I felt like it, there's not a lot of the, the the threads actually pick up from from the book. Um, you know, it could be the story could really start in in the sense that um, you know the Doctor is just aboard a, a Dalek ship. Um, in this case, it's it's careering through the vortex out of control. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it's a bit like Die Hard, isn't it? I think this maybe was even in the pre-publicity that it's sort of Die Hard on a, a Dalek ship. I think that was the brief given to the writer, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. that's maybe I heard it, yeah. Am I right in thinking that the audio came out before the book, though? Have I dreamt that? No, by a couple of days, I think it did, yeah. Yeah, because I must admit, it was a bit... When I first listened to it, I was kind of like, finished listening to the last audio where he was on the time ship they were working together to go back to the dark time. So then suddenly they're, you know, they're on a ship that is exploding all over the place. And I really got that sense of, I've just missed something, haven't I? Yeah, <laughs> I had a total culture shock on that one as well. Yes, it was like yeah. missing it. And the, the tone is so, di- I mean, the tone of all three stories is very different, but you're suddenly, you know, it, it, the, the first one's quite nice and fluffy with Brian the Ood. Uh, the second one is more about the sort of manipulation of the, the strategist. And then suddenly, you, like you say, you're into this full-on action um, sort of story, which really doesn't it doesn't pause for breath. It just hits the ground running and, and, and just goes for it for the, for the hour. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we all said before, before we started recording there, it's quite full on the first time you listen to it, and then on the mm. second listening, um, I think we all enjoyed it a, a bit more, and you, you take a lot more in, I think. I think with the Time Lord Victorious thing as well, you're also trying to listen out for bits that might be connected to it as well. I think on mm. the second listen, I just sort of like listen to it for itself rather than what I was meant to be pulling out of it. Mm. 
Yeah, I think I, I was doing the same. And again, because because I've, I've not read some some of the the novels, it, you're listening out for things, and you're like, oh, is that something connected with something else? And and, and like you say, it, it, my third listen of it, which happened to be um, on Sunday, I I actually really enjoyed it. I just just sort of went went out for a walk listening to it, and it was just uh, an enjoyable Doctor Who story. Um, and I was less in, in sort of involved in trying to find all the Time Lord Victoria stuff or in my first listen, trying to actually work out what's going on. So, um, yeah, it does grow on you. I think the, the main links in this one are to the previous Big Finish stories. The heat mm. shield that he got on the... Uh, That's the, right. The Calvary yeah, planet uh, comes into play. And then the, the Trelessons, I think, were mentioned in the previous story as the, the, the race that the racks had identified. Yeah, uh, that they were gonna they were gonna work wipe out. Um, so they're they're the main the main links, and this is the end. Well, the end for the main Dalek characters in the Time Lord Victoria. Yeah, so the strategist and the the executioner and uh, and whatnot. It's the end of their story, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that, that's run through from the the graphic novel. Yeah, the the Doctor discovers the betrayal from the previous audio as well. So he was not aware of what happened with the devolver at the end yeah the and the so enemy the, of my enemy wasn't it that uh, yeah that the, the, the racks had all been devolved yeah the mario brothers movie had a devolving gun in it and uh, i just realized the other day but i hope this all hasn't been based on a uh, a subpar um video game movie <laughs> <laughs> dennis a- hopper turning everybody into monkeys Oh, God, I remember that now. Now you've just said that, I remember that. It's been like nagging at the back of my mind where I've known all that from, and I suddenly thought, it's the Mario Brothers movie. One of the single worst (laughs) films ever made. (laughs) (laughs) It's Bob Hoskins, isn't it, in that? Is that right? It is, playing Mario. Mario. Yeah. I don't think I've watched it since it came out. I can uh, barely remember it. There's there's probably a very good reason for that. (laughs) (laughs) Shockingly bad. (laughs) <laughs> different different devolution to what we have in Scotland of course <laughs> so I'd really like the the sort of internal Dalek politics in this um, mm. especially because we've we've seen these characters on, on screen in the uh, in the animated series and then um, you know they've been in these audios and there's a Titan graphic novel with them so you do feel especially the strategists like you've really got a measure of them now um, and the yeah, all the, all the kind of the bickering and stuff, especially between the time commander and the strategist here, which you got a little bit of that in the uh, in the book, um, All Flesh is Grass, which was the um, the one we were just talking about. That this immediately follows on from for the Eighth Doctor, um, the the Emperor, the Golden Emperor from the animated series, um, as as a recorded message, but it's only for the time commander and the executioner. He leaves the strategist out of it. Um, that was basically why you're in the dark times. Go and destroy Gallifrey, um, as if knowing that the strategist, <laughs> just while you're there, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, as if he's known that the, for the strategist that the, the strategist would be against it. He would know it was a bad idea, or it would be uh, maybe too big of an impact on on the web of time or something. Um, so yeah, there's that, and there's that constant thing here between the time commander and the strategist of um, of who to blame for the state yeah. that the, sh- the ship and the mission is in. 
and uh, he, the, the time commander keeps going, it's a failure of strategy. <laughs> about three times. About the alternate title, Bitchiness of the Daleks. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, and all the, t- all the time you've got the executioner who's just blowing everything up. <laughs> the executions don't completely mad, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. It's killing everything, including yeah. Well, you know what um, totally makes sense of that for me. I, um, I I sort of gave in and bought the the eagle moss figure of the of the emperor, uh, <laughs> the golden emperor, because I, I just loved him in the in the animated series. And then having read the um, those re released sixties cartoons, and yeah. um, it comes with this booklet that explains a bit about these. So these Daleks are the the Restoration Empire. So I think we talked last time about where this sits in relation to the Time War. Um, and I think this is set after Remembrance because they talk about the Restoration Empire um, as, as taking place after the last Dalek Civil War and Davros having fled. So I kind of took that to mean after Remembrance. Um, but one of the things it says is that the Dalek Executioner is a special weapons Dalek that has been rehoused in new casing. So that makes sense of that sort of genocidal, just crazy nature. Because in this one, he goes around and he's just shooting Dalek drones as well, isn't he? Yeah. And it, there's, a, there's an interesting bit where the, the strategist and the, the commander are having another bitching session. And, yeah. and it comes to light that actually the commander has allowed the executioner to sort of augment itself and, and change its... Um, pathways so mm. that it can't be attacked by another Dalek and and the, the sort of commanders go well why can't you stop it and the strategist is just going well you let it do this yeah you know it, it, and he's like well I, I can command it and of course it ignores his command um altogether and um yeah it's a, quite an interesting one the dynamic between the three of them um I found quite quite fresh from a Dalek perspective yeah. Oh, I could listen to more of that. He was excellent. I really got, especially the second listen. The first one I was a bit, um, I say I was a bit perplexed by, but the, the second list, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, it, <laughs> and the, the, the first one, um, the whole zero gravity dancing with the Dalek. Yes. I, I would just, <laughs> my brain could not cope with that. It's <laughs> just like, what is happening? Um, but again, you know, second or third listen, it, it, it's, it's actually a really nice moment. I don't think in, I've seen anywhere where the do, uh, doctor is having a sort of zero gravity ballroom dance with uh, with a Dalek. It's, it's like the last story, and it gives you that great visuals like that, doesn't it? Like I think we said in the last one when um, the the doctor and the strategist are escaping from somewhere. It's, it's on the planet Rax, isn't it? And uh, yeah. The doctor rides the the strategist when he uh, as he um, as he flies and that kind of thing and yeah I thought that scene um, the idea of him just sort of hanging on to the <laughs> the Dalek on and flying away together yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh, that does some some great stuff in there and then when he when he uh, he switches the the gravity back on doesn't he and sort of crashes down he ends up with a a bent gun yeah. stick and a broken eye stalk and all this sort of stuff. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a very noisy story. There's a lot going on in the background because mm. you've got the ship exploding and, you know, lots lots happening. But um, the, there are some just, like you say, those little moments where the Dalek drops back down to, to the ground and where the Doctor's creating something out of all the debris from 
uh, that's floating around in the room yeah. as well. I found um, McGann's doctor in this story was just was really just on it. It was just every opportunity he had. To, he was in pure survival mode to to get back to the the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. But he was quite ruthless in the way that he he did that. He's quite enjoying himself as well, though. A lot he of, is. Uh, he's only having a good laugh while he's at it. Mm. Yeah, he's easy. I mean, McGann's always brilliant, I think. But he's he's. I think this because in, in a way, the simplicity of this story is he's just got to make his way through the Dalek ship, get to the TARDIS, and, and escape, and then go. Yeah. But the Daleks know that he's trying to get to the TARDIS, so. Uh, that's that's quite a big part of it, isn't it? The because um, the time commanders, the TARDIS has been hooked up to the Dalek ship in order to allow them to travel back in time to the dark times, and then the time commander's a bit sort of Brexity, isn't he? About about having the TARDIS <laughs> hooked up, he's like, no, it's alien machinery, any and, alien technology. Yeah, I've unhooked it, and the strategist says, well, we need that to navigate through the vortex. What are you doing? And then he's like, no, Dalek technology is superior, um, but mm. it clearly isn't because they they weren't able to to travel back to the dark times in the first place to see what the um what the reason was for the uh the change in timelines um and then uh yeah so it, it's it's this whole thing where the, the strategist thinks no you've got to be very very careful with the doctor because uh he knows how dangerous he is because he's a really old dalek isn't he yeah, I, I have to say I like the strategist I, I think the strategist is a, is a very um, clever character for a Dalek. It, it knows the Doctor. It can anticipate what the Doctor's doing, even though none of the other Daleks around them are, are really understand, you know, how dangerous the Doctor is. So when the, when the commander says, "I will stand by the TARDIS until the Doctor gets to me," and the yeah. strategist <laughs> is like, "Yeah, that'll work, won't yeah. it?" and just goes <laughs> off to go and find the Doctor. <laughs> so do we think the strategist did betray the Daleks, or was it just he had a scheme that the other Daleks couldn't grasp? I, could, I, I was puzzling about that. So at, at the end, where they sort of double-cross each other, don't they? So the mm. Doctor records the strategist, and then the strategist says, I, I've only let your, your, your um, companion live so that I can force you to open the TARDIS. There is that, in my head, there is a nagging doubt as to would the strategist actually have just gone with the do- with the Doctor or was that the end game? The end game was to force the Doctor to open the TARDIS so the strategist could... It's sort of nicely could, ambiguous, really, isn't it? It is. Um, and, and, and it picks up on that, that idea from the previous story where... The, the, the Doctor and the strategist, the strategist saves the Doctor's life several times because he he sees the, 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 the Doctor's worth to what he wants to uh, to achieve. And I just wonder if at that point the strategist still needed the Doctor or still wanted the Doctor um, around. So, yeah, you're right. There was no um, clear sort of defining this is what he was, he was up to. Um, so, yeah. To be honest, the uh, McGann travelling with the time strategies would be a box set I'd paid for. That, that would have been yes. a fascinating uh, setup. Mm. Probably short-lived, obviously, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think in the in the sort of wider Time Lord Victorious arc as well, in the uh, in the graphic novel, um, 
Defender of the Daleks. The strategist spends quite a bit of time with the Tenth Doctor. Um, so he's, he knows the Doctor really, really well. And, and in the book, All Flesh is Grass as well. He's As in this, he's the one that can anticipate what the Doctor's going to do. There's a point where the Doctor sort of stumbles across the, the Daleks' wider plan in the book. Um, and only the strategist knows that the Doctor's there and figures it out. And uh, it's... So, yeah, I kind of get the feeling he would have gone with the Doctor because his position became really untenable aboard the Dalek ship. Um, that The time commander would, you know, would have tried to destroy him and, and turned everybody else against him. But it wouldn't have been to be a companion. It would have been, to, you know, take control of the TARDIS, take it back to the Emperor. Um, because in the, in the animated series, it looks like he may be betraying the Emperor um and yeah. siding with the uh, the mechanoids doesn't it at one point but it's uh, it's part of this wider plan but even at the end the emperor gives sort of like the strategy sort of barbed comment doesn't it about who's in control yeah. at the end of the animations there's obviously a degree of distrust there mm. and if in the book he did sort of like do instructions behind his back again the emperor's not entirely trusting his motives no but then i kind of at the very very end do you think the strategist survived? Just yeah, I hope so because he's brilliant. Mm. Um, I'd love to see more stories with him, and it, and that's the thing you hear an explosion, but you don't know if it's the whole ship exploding or that's the ambiguity of audio, isn't it? Yeah, because you can hear the strategist saying, "I will," you know, "I'm a Dalek, I will survive." Uh, not in a Gloria Gaynor <laughs> way, but, you know, that would have been an interesting twist at the end. Um, <laughs> came out and did a musical number um, but uh, again there was that um, ambiguity as to actually was that the end of the you know the end of the strategist or did the strategist somehow manage to survive um, mm. and hopefully like you say crop up somewhere else at some point yeah it'd be, it'd be great to see him back I think it's, it's such a good character you know probably Probably other than Davros, you know, even even like the the most interesting uh, Dalek character. I suppose mm. with Nick Gregg doing the voice and he's the executive producer, he's enjoyed doing it. <laughs> the character's probably going to come back. Yeah, but we don't know what the licensing is with this because it was. I mean, the Time of Victorious is is a BBC creation, isn't it? Yeah. Do they have the rights to the characters and they've just lent them out for this, or do Big Finish have the rights to use these characters again? Mm, it's an interesting one. No, I've not thought yeah. of it that way. I suppose, yeah. How 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 much can you copyright the word strategist? The, the strategist as well is also doing a lot of what the time controller does in the other stories, isn't it? So yeah, mm. it depends if they need two characters who more or less do the same thing. Oh, you see, see now you, you've made me worry that I may not get my Brian the Ood spin-off series because <laughs> that's that's the one I'm waiting for. No, just spoilers. Is Brian still alive? Uh, yes, Brian. Brian survives the end of the book. His his story ends with in in all flesh is grass. Ah, um, that is possible. But uh, but in my head canon, he goes on to be in the space prison with the thirteenth Doctor, having teamed up with a sick rat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be good? Oh, that would be a nice tie-in, wouldn't it? In the cell next to Angela. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I choose to believe anyway. <laughs> because I mean, the character still is 
a killer when all said and done, isn't it? It doesn't really deserve to be let off scot free. Yeah, very true. It is, but it but it is just that lovability of yeah. <laughs> just you know, I'm going to kill you, but do you want a cup of tea first and a <laughs> and a Gary Baldy? <laughs> it's just yeah. be nice to you. Yeah, yeah, he's very suave. Um, and then um, I. But a few weeks ago, did, did the podcast on the the Minds of Magnox, which is the uh, the other audio, that, but but not a big Finnish one. Um, that's part of Time Lord Victorious, and Jacob Dudman plays the Tenth Doctor. I've 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 listened to that. It's very, I, I quite liked it. Yeah, uh, it, it does a reasonable impression. At times, I thought it generally was. Um, the the tenth doctor and um it's really good i i quite liked it i thought his his impression of, of brian of um silas carson yeah yeah he's he's very very good impersonation of silas carson as well um but that was good for getting brian's backstory i really appreciated the um you know chance to to, to hear about his origins mm. what did you um we talked a bit about the Daleks. What did you think of the the other? I mean, it's a very tight cast. What did you think of the other two sort of characters that were sort of brought in? You know, from that were defrosted, if you like, <laughs> after a little while. Padding your thoughts. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I kind of thought. <laughs> This I kind of thought short, we need to put some people in to be shot. <laughs> I thought Groth was just like he, he was there one minute, then he went away to get some weapons, and then he sort of confronted the executioner and died. And I was kind of like, okay, <laughs> he was like the Star Trek equivalent of a red blazer. He's just sort of like <laughs> we'll take him on an away mission, but don't don't really find out much about him because he was going to be killed off in the first five minutes. <laughs> As I say, my character names wasn't here are Padding and Filler because I generally thought that's more <laughs> done there to extend the plot of it. It was interesting to get to get one of these races that were you know on the path to becoming like the Daleks or the Cybermen, I suppose, but mm. but early on, um, and, and Groth probably was you know maybe a bit of a mirror of the Dalek executioner in that so he was uh, he was being he'd been selectively bred and trained. To be a soldier, hadn't he? And, uh, and that was. I was scared and entirely useless. Mm. Mm. So it wasn't a very good reading program, really. <laughs> Whether that was supposed to be reflected on what a bad time they had at those sort of the Daleks' plungers previously, because they'd all been a sort of like captured and tortured, haven't they? Yeah. So whether, but because I, I don't know if these characters have appeared previously, but since I didn't know them, I couldn't tell whether this we were meant to see like a change in their personalities or whether they were just brand new. Mm. They're, no, they're brand new in this story. They're mentioned in Enemy of My Enemy, and it ties in a little bit with the book in that the, the Daleks have spent a lot of time in the dark times. Um, I think the Eighth Doctor, somebody calls it shopping, um, that they've been collecting samples of loads of different races that are around in the dark times but aren't around in their time for sort mm. of genetic manipulation and that type of thing. Which is ironic because the time commander doesn't want any sort of alien influences, does he? So he's sort of like yeah. he's been shopping for something he doesn't want. And then in the and then in Revolution of the Daleks, the they're very much back into absolute racial purity, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. 
um, hypocrisy of the Daleks. You know? <laughs> Revolution thing, very similar to um, Remembrance in that sort of, you know, the whole speech that the Doctor and, and Ace, where they talk about the uh, blobbiness of the Daleks. Yeah, not mm-hmm. pure in their blobbiness. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah, I, I, I thought these characters, I mean, obviously the, one of them is now, we assume, going to be a companion in another story, um, Tiska. But I, I just, part of me was thinking, is this, I, I was thinking the same as you, Keith, is there some significance to these two characters linked to other stories? Because I, I didn't get it. Um, and it was kind of like the Daleks were just trying to save power, so they were just like switch the freezers off, you know, <laughs> just defrost them and kill them. It's fine. We don't need them anymore. Um, so it was, it was kind of it was kind of odd, um, and, and I, I wasn't quite sure what purpose they served other than a bit of padding, like you said. Something um, as well, because I mean, he can only talk to himself for so long, mm. which is like a bit of an audio stable, but it always seems a bit strange. And the Doctor does talk to himself endlessly. Mm. There was one thing he mentioned, though, which, I again, I'm not sure whether this links to other stories, but he, they were talking about the Dark One, but I wasn't sure what that was referring to. I took it to um, mean the Dalek Executioner. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, It was that but, one that was doing the torturing, wasn't it? Yeah, because it, it was uh, Groff kept on saying, you know, the Dark One will find me, and I was, then mm. I was thinking, I thought again, I thought that might be a reference to something else other than the Daleks, but um, um, yeah, because they had been tortured, hadn't they, mm. um, previously? Yeah, so, yeah, I took it to be the Executioner, and then that's because that's who he then has the big face-off with when he tries to kill it, but the the with a Dalek gunstick, but. It's immune to Dalek, to Dalek gun sticks, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, that's that's how I read it. It's interesting that you th- thought um, Tisco was staying on as a companion as well. I didn't. I didn't get that. I thought the Doctor was sort of sending her on away, saying, "Well, you basically get to decide the legacy of your race now." As I mean, he was going to drop her off somewhere, but he didn't actually do it, did he? So she's still no. at the end of the story. So he was talking about her. Yeah, he was talking about her finding her place in the universe. And, and I I took that to mean, you know, come with me for a few adventures and then we'll we'll yeah. see how you get on. Ah, right. Well, it was nicely ironic that he was talking about her being the last of her kind, considering what's coming up in his future. Yeah. Mm. There's quite a bit of sort of foreshadowing, isn't there? Um, mm. He's... He talks about war quite a lot, and although from from his perspective, that time war and, and everything hasn't happened yet, but there's a lot of um, hints that where he's going to stand with the time war, and obviously he tries to stay out of it as long as possible. Um, so um, yeah, that was that was quite interesting. There's some good stuff in the book as well because he's hanging around with the. Ninth and tenth doctors mm. of their perspective um, of, of being sort of post Gallifrey and the eighth doctor being blissfully unaware. <laughs> um, so when they they save Gallifrey in the dark times, and uh, the eighth doctor's just like, Oh, good old Gallifrey, keep meaning to pop back. Do you get back very often and stuff like that? You know, 
Um, but they, they can't they can't let him know. So it's uh, and especially the ninth doctor is all very still uh, still cut, cut up about it as well. You know, I was going to say his his doctor was very scarred, wasn't it? For mm. that for that that whole season, especially when he, in Dalek when it when he comes across the Dalek for the first time, you just realise how damaged he is by by what's happened with the time war. Yeah, yeah, because I, I found that very jarring when I first watched it. That mm. I like it when the Doctor's a bit more just sarcastic with the Daleks and, and you know, rather than, um, you know, kind of freaking out and banging on the door to be let out. Yeah. I prefer that sort of, um, you know, like the way that maybe uh, Pertwee would just uh, have some withering remark, uh, like in Day of the Daleks, something when he meets them, you know. Yeah, or... Um Oh, Colin Baker, where he just walks in and goes, oh, I see you've been busy. It's yeah, just, yeah. It's just so casual. Um, but then as, as, as that first series went on and you, you learned a bit more about the, the time war and the, the you know what had happened, it, it made sense of it. But, um, yeah, the, the, on the first watch, I thought, no, nah, that's, that's not how the Doctor deals with the Daleks. Mm. And uh, this one, again, the way it follows on from the book... Um, the, the doctor's making his way through this ship, and he's he's using bits and pieces to uh, to, to, to protect himself. Um, he spent absolutely ages on this ship. He, in the in the last big finish that we listened to, you know, he was uh, he was aboard the ship. He hooked up the TARDIS and travelled back in time. But then in the book, he spends basically quite a lot of time living there. Like he's got his own room, and. Uh, he go. He takes um, like a pot plant out of the TARDIS and some books to decorate it, and just spends ages. So he knows it really. Like he would absolutely know his way around it as well. Um, which was um, it's not really specifically mentioned here, but it's uh, it, it sort of nicely ties into how you know just how well he would know his way around. Mm. They were talking about scarring on the TARDIS because they tried to sort of blow their way in. Mm. Um, but then when you get to sort of more modern Doctor Who. Particularly, again, going back to that um, sort of the end of uh, Eccleston and going into Tennant, the Daleks are able to to capture TARDISes. So there's obviously, you know, a, an evolution there on how they understand the, the TARDIS and and um, are able to get inside them. Mm. I suppose they've had a whopping great time war, haven't they, where they've learned Learn all the, the technology. things they need to do. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, Keith, you were going to say something. I was saying, is the Time Lord Victorious thing actually finished now? So is this, with that last book and these sort of like um, final dramas, is it fundamentally done? Everything we, we, we are going to discover has been discovered. There is an interactive event, isn't there? Like an escape room type live show. Yeah. But, that's not that can't fundamentally as much yeah. to the pot, though, can it? So, so ultimately, Time Lord Victorious is kind of done. There's the one big release left um, is the the vinyl that was um, delayed because I think it's like an Asda exclusive, um, where it's got Paul McGann on one side and David Tennant on the other, and I think they're both having the same adventure but from from different different ends or something so I don't think they meet but they um, it's, it's one of these stories where you can listen to either side first and it, and it makes sense because you see sort of both sides of it then 
Um, but I think that's the last the last big release that's to come out, other than, like you said, the escape room and that type of thing, which I guess the majority of people um, won't. And I think um, it's, it doesn't, it's not going to tie in with the, any of the Doctor's stories or the this Dalek crew or Brian the Ood or any of the other main main players. Yeah, there's um, the Time Lord Victorious and Brian the Ood, which is out on the 1st of March. They're the Eagle Moss figures, aren't they? Yeah, they're the Eagle Moss mm. figures. And then the Time Fracture has obviously been put back because of the pandemic. And that's just scheduled for some point next year. Yeah, and because and because I say this this final, I think because it's being released through Asda, they delayed it from I think November to February. Um, but I guess that's still kind of up in the air as to uh, probably still be in lockdown throughout February, won't we? <laughs> Almost certainly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think because that's that is an Asda thing, um, it, it, I guess it'll be up to them, and um, it'll probably have to have to be released through Asda in a way as well, I suppose. So uh, yeah, it'd be interesting. It's too long, so it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, that's the problem, I suppose. Maybe they could put it online. I think. I mean, I don't know if the downloads been delayed again, haven't? I think so. Oh. Oh well, I don't know. I don't know if it's um, if the next release has been delayed, but I think Big Finish did a tweet about about it being under review. You know. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Mm. And hit the sales if everybody's already listened to it, isn't it? Yeah. So fundamentally, then the time of Victorious is done. It's pretty yeah. much yes. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's the only two things for this year. Yeah, everything else apart from the vinyl is out. Yeah, and and we've seen the the book sees the end. I think of the tenth Doctor's storyline, Brian the Ude's storyline. This is the end of the eighth Doctor and the the Dalek Time Squad's story. So, uh, yeah, I think it, it ties everything up by now. Yeah, that's what we enjoyed it. Um, so to be honest, I, I was very sceptical at the beginning, and, and I think we had this conversation, Mark, where we were just like, there, there seemed to be so many different titles across so many different platforms, but I, I don't feel necessarily that I've, I've missed out on much from not engaging with everything, but there are now some things that I want to go back and just find out a little bit more about, but I've generally got the gist of it i don't know about yourselves yeah i've enjoyed the uh, the stuff that i've consumed of it and i think i think it mostly does hang together um as you know individual stories that you can enjoy especially the big finishes you don't you know they don't need a massive amount of to have um, to have consumed the other stuff but it, it, there are lots of nice little links that, that make sense and tie together if you the more of it that you do watch or read or listen to. So fundamentally, the books have been the sort of like the um, the main thing and everything else has been sort of like spin-offs from that extra detail. I think the books are the sort of the tent poles, yeah. They, um, they kick off the whole thing with the tenth Doctor going back in time and, and taking on the Keturah. Uh, and then, yeah, the second book, book resolves that. So the the changes to the timelines and the Daleks getting involved all, all stem from it, yeah. I think if they may have said that at the beginning, it would have been easier to have got my head around it a bit. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's such a unique, you know, kind of first-time experiment for something like this, isn't it? 
I think the the addition of new titles after I think they they initially did a timeline and then suddenly there was another new title and another one. I think that was a bit confusing because it was kind of like okay, so what what do I start with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so um, I, th- I think it would have been good to have that whole thing laid out at the beginning, but it added a bit of intrigue, I suppose. I just think some people were just like, oh, there's another title that I'm going to have to plan to buy. Um, so it would have been good to see the whole thing, maybe not in the chronological order, but at, at least the whole range so you could decide what you wanted to dip in and out of. Yeah, I think if I understood it more, I'd have probably... Um would have enjoyed it more from the off. It's taken me a while to like, get my head around. Right. But yeah. latterly, I've quite enjoyed it. But uh, say, at the beginning, I was also a bit resentful, I think, at the beginning as well. It felt a bit um, as if we're being forced to buy a product to follow the story. But really, if it is only those two books and everything else is um, an addition, it's, it doesn't seem quite so um, like draining on the purse, really, does it? Mm. Mm. I... I- and I really love the, I know, I know opinion is divided, but I really like the Dalek animation series as well. Oh, I like I think, that. Well, I don't know why people don't. <laughs> yeah, I love like that. Yeah. And I, and I just think it was, you know, at a time when there's there's not much, um, you know, new Doctor Who content um, from the TV series um, because of everything that's going on and filming uh, restrictions. How lovely was it to have a free bit of uh, Doctor Who to watch, you know, for those, it was, what, six weeks? Um, you know, these little animations were just really, really, I, I really enjoyed them. It was something to look forward to. I just love Daleks anyway. I was a Dalek fan before I was a Doctor Who fan, really. Yeah. So it was, the Daleks had grabbed my attention to so anything with Daleks. And even now I'm nearly 50, I still um, <laughs> absolutely adore, to be honest. No, and I always say they look fantastic animated as well, you know, since, since the power of the Daleks animation oh, came yeah. out. Mm. They look absolutely beautiful animated. So, yeah, I, I mean, that would be fantastic if we get more series of, of these Dalek characters. Um, you know, it doesn't need to be connected to Time Lord Victorious or anything, does it? You know, they can just be having their adventures like they do in the old 60s comic strips. Mm. Before it all, anyway, couldn't it? Yeah. That's it. And, um, yeah, so when we, at least we know the Emperor has survived. Um, because he didn't travel back in time and he's not on this mission. Um, the hope is the strategist has survived. And I think the Dalek executioner, like there's more than one of them as well. I, don't, I think it's just like they've brought one of them on this mission. It's not like there's only one in existence. The particularly mad one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love the way that, like you say, with it being one of the special weapons Daleks, the way that ties in with the Remembrance of Daleks novelization that, you know, the isn't it the radiation from its guns driven it mad and all the other Daleks are a bit scared of it? That it really makes sense with the way that it, it behaves in this one. Yeah. Which is just totally bonkers and blowing yeah. everything up, which is great. I like the way that even the uh, the town squad commander getting worried that it's actually causing more damage than the doctor at one point. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, <laughs> he's actually like ruining the integrity of the ship at one point. <laughs> Yeah, and that great bit where they, they give it the key to open the door and it becomes paralysed because um, it's got the key to open the door, but its instinct is to blast its way through. And the two competing prerogatives of uh, just cancel each other out and it's motionless. Uh, that, was a, that was a really nice touch. 
It's a tour de force with Nicholas Briggs, isn't it? I mean, because I mean, the Daleks are so different in this. Mm. And it's purely down to his vocal talents. It, it's um, kudos where it's due. He's, uh, he's remarkable. Yeah. And I think he says in the making of as well that he doesn't sort of record all of the time commander bits and then all of the strategist bits and all the scientist bits. He switches between them uh, as he goes through the script, which uh, is remarkable, I think. Oh, it's amazing. And this was all recorded on lockdown and read as well. So mm-hmm. I couldn't tell any difference. No. Uh, in the production. Right. People have said in the past that they've noticed that, especially McGann sometimes sounds a bit distant and things, but I generally haven't. And I actually listened out for it on this one. I couldn't hear any difference. No, no, I can't. No, me neither. Uh, it sounds like it's recorded together in a studio. Mm. Probably a bit of a godsend. It was a smaller cast as well and probably made life a lot easier. Yeah, and I think some of those, some of, I mean, some of these stories, you know, have got quite tight casts, and I think they benefit from that in some respects that you, you, you not have to spend so much time on all the lots of different characters. You can focus on the peril that's that's facing just a couple of them, um, and make the action a bit a bit sort of speedier. Um, apart from these two, obviously. Yes. <laughs> But, um, no, I quite like that, rather than sitting there thinking, oh, there's about 12 members of the cast and what's happening to each one. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the simplicity of this one, it's the, the Doctor's objective, the Dalek's objective, and then just everything that happens in between. Mm. Um, but no, and, and um, as we said at the start, definitely pays dividends for repeat listenings. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a really, really good story. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Great talking about this story. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye.